Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article on wikipedia explore then follow the links and see where it takes us so john what do you have for us today ralph robert curly jones yeah he was a american high school and college football and college basketball coach Really he, played the field, didn't he? Uh, yeah, and in addition to that, he was also the coach for the Chicago Bears of the NFL from 1930 to 1932, hmm. leading them to the 1932 NFL Championship. Uh-huh. And, I might add, his overall college football record, 54-37-10, and 10, his overall college basketball record, 232-106, hmm. His overall NFL record, 24-10 to 10, to seven games tied. Hmm. The guy was really good at getting people convinced that they shouldn't lose games. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I guess so. Remind you that he was spanning both American football and basketball. Very different uh, coaching yeah. requirements there, really. I mean, like, strategically I mean, speaking, <laughs> they're not completely the same game. different, yeah. Yeah, very different game. So, uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, although, unfortunately, taking us closer to sports again than right. we would like. But uh, at least this time, there's this is a relatively substantial article. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few links in it. Um, so there are ways to get out of it. We won't. We don't have to get stuck. But right. Um, uh, what do you What do you have? Uh, anything that's not sports? Well, at you're not gonna believe it. Ellie Allen, an American soccer player. No. No. Yeah. This is what Wikipedia wants from us. This is why. Wikipedia is like, all right, you know what? You're doing some kind of football. Whether you want to or not. (laughs) If you don't choose football one of these weeks and talk about football, then we're just going to force it on you every single time. Oh, yeah? Well, joke's on you, Wikipedia, because you gave us a coach of college football and college basketball. So what Loophole. if we pursue the basketball <laughs> part and then end up doing Space Jam? <laughs> <laughs> shows, shows you, Wikipedia. Yep. We'll always find a way to Space Jam. Honestly, though, basketball, come on, that can't be a far jump. Oh, absolutely. That, that's that's totally within the realm of reason. As a matter of fact, I don't want to do it because <laughs> of the fact that I know it will be done like five minutes from now. Right. I, I would say... I have to find someplace else to go. I don't want to go to Space Jam immediately. <laughs> right. We need to give some breathing room. Find some other cool links. Yeah. If, if we get down a rabbit hole that we're not particularly finding interesting... We can, go we can always else. go back to Space Jam. Right. 
Um, but yeah, I'm going to say we're going to go to your article because Ellie Allen isn't necessarily uh, too interesting. Although she uh, born 1986, so uh, pretty close to the football soccer player we so had kind of, last yeah. week. Yeah. Last so, last week. Last week. Seven yeah. days. Seven days ago. <laughs> seven whole days. Yep. <laughs> Time seven. <loops. laughs> wow. Whoa. How does it work? Um. When do we record these things? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> Unless you look at the date recorded on. <laughs> just get rid of that feature. Just turn it down. Just turn it off. It's true. I don't have to click on that. <clears throat> um. But yeah, let's see. What was that guy's name? Just Ralph Jones. Is the Ralph answer. Jones. Old Could Curly himself. Yeah. Old Curly. Old Curly, what they used to call Which him. Which is weird because his hair is completely straight. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> oh, this is old, old-timey. Very old-timey, yeah. Died in 1951, age 70. In Colorado, of all places. Born 1880. I'm surprised that... His photograph here is as old timey as it is, because it seems like it would be like, like 1800s, <laughs> not like yeah. 1900s. I feel like that's like the year he was born is when that kind of photograph would have been taken. Right? Yeah, it seems a lot. It doesn't like... look like a 30 or 40 year old person. No, it looks like like you know the photographs of Abraham Lincoln that there are. Yeah, like it looks like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit strange. But, uh, yeah. So. so this guy was busy in the Midwest, and I mean busy. We have him doing football and basketball, not just football for the uh, Chicago Bears, but he's coaching every sports team everywhere. <laughs> Jones was an integral part of development of high school basketball in Indiana and a successful college coach at Purdue. And also at Illinois. He was the recipient of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame's inaugural Centennial Award, November 27, 2010. It is believed that Jones was the first high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana. While still, which, <laughs> I mean, I don't know well, how they had first. any teams to play. Wow. So, I mean, maybe that's how they won, but I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I guess, when was basketball, like... Started. I mean, obviously, hmm. sports kind of evolve over time right, from right. somewhere ancient, but... Like, I always felt like basketball was kind of the obvious answer to soccer. Like, you can't uh, use yeah. your feet. You we're only going to use our hands. We're only going to use our hands. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like that it's been around in some form for a while, yeah. but it kind of manifests as rugby some places, as uh, basketball other places. But I don't know, like yeah, when if, they like substantiated I, basketball as basketball. No. Yeah, I don't know, like if it would have been before the turn of this millennium or which millennium? One thousand. The last millennium. The the, the second the previous the, millennium. The, the previous millennium turn number of the, one. Yes, the millennium. <laughs> the millennium, if you will. Let's just differentiate them. There's the millennium and then the millennium. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm talking about the millennium, not the millennium, not which the, is the willennium. one that happened when the album. Not came. Will 2K. Not Will 2K. <laughs> gotcha. Not Will I Am. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Mill I Am. Got it. Mill I Am. 
Millium. Yeah. Yep. We can do <coughs> spoonerisms. Anyway, <laughs> the thing is, is he was uh, coaching in the 1800s. The first coaching? high school team in Indiana. Uh, mm. uh, yeah. He organized the team at Indianapolis Short Ridge High School, the first high school team in Indiana, while he was still a high school student. Uh, Jones led the Indianapolis YMCA to statewide prominence and then led the Crawfordsville YMCA, both of which claimed the state YMCA championships under his guidance. Due to his success with YMCA-based leagues, Butler University contracted Jones to coach basketball for the 1903-04 season. This was his first official head coaching job in the long and successful career that Jones would continue for the next 30 years. Continuing his co- his coaching at Crawfordsville, this time at a local high school, and additionally took on the role coaching duty of uh, Wabash College. His teams at both institutions featured the Hall of Fame inductees Ward, quote-unquote, Piggy, Lambert, and Pete Vaughn, and David Glasscock. I feel like... Piggy cannot be like a good nickname, like a flattering nickname. When you're talking about football, maybe, but so far in this article, they're talking about basketball. So, <laughs> nah, <laughs> that's bad. Piggy, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that being a flattering. Nickname. They have a link to him, like yes, he has his own thing. He doesn't look like a piggy. Looks like a normal dude. Why do they think he was a pig? Do you think he snorts a lot? <laughs> that could be. It could be something really small just, and stupid. and He just walks around making him. oink noises sometimes. <laughs> so Jones moved to uh, Purdue University in 1910, beginning a three-year tenure that resulted in a 32-9 record at the well, first, in the first two uh, Big Nine championships. Um, let's not skip over the part where he um, known as oh, the no Little way. Giants Jones's Wabash teams compiled a record of 75-6 to six and defeated teams from much larger institutions including Illinois, Purdue, Indiana, Minnesota and Notre Dame uh, during the same time period Jones's Crawfordsville high school teams lost only one game so he was the Little Giants the original little the giants. original little giants. That's crazy. Yeah, that I did not know. The Wabash little giants. And they were little, but they won a lot. <laughs> and in the end, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. <laughs> Wins win. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he actually retired as a player, or after after George Halas retired as a player coach in 1930, he hired Jones to take over his team as head coach. This is the Chicago Bears. Uh, even though Jones led the team to a 24-10-7 record, why are there three numbers? What does that mean? There's a tie. And the three is the tie. Ah, uh, okay. Do you don't see that anymore. <laughs> like they, that used to be like a legit thing because steroids weren't invented yet. But uh, 
Like, like you don't see it now. It's weird, but you just don't. Like, they're yeah. like you'll be lucky to see maybe one tie game a season amongst <laughs> one foot two football teams. Pardon me, in the NFL, like yeah. that'll be it for the entire season. Like amongst all the teams, one tie game. <laughs> um, but due to the economic depression, which was affecting every business across the United States, the financial health of the franchise began to suffer. With many people out of work, fewer and fewer individuals could pay for the cost of a ticket to attend a Bears game. Consequently, even though the team won the NFL championship in 1932, by the end of the season, the franchise had lost approximately $18,000. Which, uh, adjusting for inflation, I'm going to ballpark it. um, Two billion dollars. (laughs) $11 billion. Uh, Dutch Sternman sold his half of the team to Halas, and Halas resumed coaching the team in order to save the cost of a head coach's salary during his tenure with the Bears. So he came out of retirement. And Jones lined the quarterback directly under center the first time this had been done. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, Quarterbacks hadn't been put in the center of the lineup? Because, like, I don't know that much about football, but the quarterback's always been in the center. Always. <laughs> Why is that part of the previous sentence? Okay, I don't know about that, but... There's there's a comma before that. Like, it has absolutely nothing to do with the previous sentence. The previous sentence is about Halas becoming the head coach again, or resuming coaching the team again. And then... Yeah, you're um, right. There should be a period. Oh, in there. yeah, Not yeah. Even like a semi. Period after salary. That's what we're looking for here because um, it shouldn't be Halas resumed coaching the team in order to save the cost of a head coach's wow. salary during his tenure with the Bears. It should be a period after salary. They capitalize that D and everything. Yeah. Like, there's no. There's no excuse. You yeah. tried. You, you you didn't even check. So the sentence is, during his tenure with the Bears, Jones lined the quarterback directly under the center the first time this had been done. There we go. And next, he spaced out the offensive line and devised blocking schemes that would open holes in the defense. He refined the T formation by introducing wide ends and a halfback in motion. While Jones was head coach, Bronco Nagurski made his NFL debut as a member of the Chicago Bears. His 706 winning percentage is the best in Bears history. Up to that point or all time? You're right. (laughs) That's the one. The all time one. All time. That's this is what 1932. (laughs) They're the Boston Red Sox of football. Uh, Actually, never mind. They're the Philly. Well, I'm not sure who's lost more now. <laughs> They're that's... the Florida Mariners of uh, football. <laughs> Man, that's uh, that's pretty bad. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't want to set an all-time record like way back in the beginning of a sport. <laughs> no. That's uh, yeah. You want somebody to break that at some point. No, I, I I know what they are now. They're the Philadelphia Eagles of football. <laughs> so when Jones uh, went to uh, Lake Forest College, 
He tinkered with his simple options on the basic T formation. Many coaches were searching for answers to an easy-to-teach formation that was also not easy to defend. Jones approached Halas with various diagrammed options. Not until Clark Shognessy... Why do people have such great names back then, and why why are we stuck? <laughs> I don't know. It seems like all the great names died out. Like, I guess these people just weren't having babies or something. But uh, he was the head coach uh, at University of Chicago, and he approached Halas with very complex formations in 1935, and that's when the T became effective. Many coaches contributed to the success of the T formation, that swept college and pro football in 1940. Shaughnessy, I guess that's Shaughnessy's um, Stanford University team went 10 and 0 and defeated the University of Nebraska in the Rose Bowl with his elaborate T formation. Weeks later, Halas's Bears defeated the Washington Redskins 73 to 0 with the same system. Jones left the Bears to become athletic director at Lake Forest College. All told, Jones tallied 404 wins in his coaching career for a winning record of better than 83%. He, meant, he also mentored nine college All-Americans. Ba- Basketball Hall of Fame inductee Ward Lambert dedicated his 1932 book, Practical Basketball, to Ralph Jones, my coach. My coach. My coach? (laughs) Wow. In the uh, 1932 season where the Chicago Bears ended up winning the NFL championship, their record was 7-1-6, which means that they tied six games, and Uh. that was how they had the winningest record. (laughs) Wow. I've never seen a team tie that many games. They tied almost as much as they won. Which is stupid, actually. <laughs> That's a worse strategy. Like, But they lost the least amount of times. Technically, I don't think a, I mean, a tie is not previous. a win. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> if a tie is not a win, then you have to really wonder why it isn't just a loss. Well, that, this is interesting, though, because... Um, in no, 1930... No, no. Here's, here's how you determine it. <laughs> if you spend two hours playing a game and nobody wins, that's how you know you've lost. Okay, both that's teams it. Lose. Yep, both teams <laughs> lose. That's it. You wasted your time. You've decided nothing. You're awful. Good day. <laughs> Isn't that what overtime's for? Like, stuff like that? Eventually it would be, but I, I don't think that it was like initially like a thing that people did. I yeah. think initially people actually had to spend time on making sure they could still eat. Right, yeah. They, they didn't have free time to... No. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, they all right, go we got hunting. two hours. We're going to get this thing done. We're going to have fun. Whatever happens, it, happens. We're going to stop. Yeah. We're going to stop. We're going to go home. We're going to go to bed. The sun will be down. <laughs> it'll be scary outside. We don't have lights. <laughs> but in the 1930 season, they finished third with nine wins Four losses and one tie. Objectively a better team. Yeah. That's better, yeah. And uh, then in 1931, they finished third again with eight wins, five losses. Objectively a better team. Then in 1932, 
somehow finished first with seven wins. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is how the math ended up being. I mean, they had less losses, technically, but then six ties. But, see, I don't understand how you come in first with seven wins, but you come in third with nine wins. I, I assumed that number of wins equals position. I don't know what the... Unless, unless every other team... Unless the other teams tied and also lost a bunch. That's like, what I'm saying. Like, you know, the, if they tied with six teams, there's six other teams out there that, that also had ties on their record. <laughs> and back in that day, like, the NFL and the, a- the AFL didn't exist yet. Right. So you only had half again as many teams as the NFL currently has, minus mm. the, like, six or so they've added over the years. So you're talking, like, 10, 12 teams maybe um well i mean yeah with the, these numbers it's not it's not astronomical yeah. it's not like incredulous that yeah. this would happen um does it still seem super weird sitting here and looking at it like not knowing a whole lot about it though yeah until you think about it, it seems real weird yeah yeah i don't understand what's going on with these uh, what i don't understand too is the his football coaching records like there's a huge gap in his coaching record. He goes from coaching college football with Wabash College in 1908, does it one year, has a record of two and six, somehow ends up being the coach of a National Football League team, (laughs) and then goes back to coaching college football. Yeah, there's a good uh, 22-year gap in there. And he just shows up as an NFL coach? I mean, I think that shows you how not seriously people took the NFL back (laughs) in the day. It was only after he went to the NFL and proved himself as a football coach again that he was allowed into the college to be a coach. There isn't a gap. He left after Wabash College to do basketball stuff. Ah, and so he went he Wabash College back. football, then he went Wabash College basketball. And then he came back and did uh, Chicago Bears. After all the basketball stuff, he's like, all right, I'll uh, coach the Bears for a while. Which is crazy, but like, it also kind of makes sense, because look at how good he was as a basketball coach. I think he just got bored. Like, <laughs> seriously, his record as a basketball coach is way more impressive just by number of games per season per tenure even yeah. although he's still tying over here because uh, if you look at his placing in Illinois school mm-hmm. um, in the 1915 to 16 year tied for second 16 to 17 year tied for first at least I'm assuming that's what the T stands for yeah you're right that's uh, tying for first that's not good is that even possible? <laughs> I thought if you tied for first, didn't you both tie for second? Because or, that's the yeah, same thing. <laughs> that, that would be. Isn't that, isn't that the same? Yeah, you tie for second. You don't tie for the higher number. You tie or, for second, then there's a third. <laughs> yeah. Or, tie for or second, tie for fourth. the two that's people like the, tied for first play each other again. See who wins. <laughs> Just one more? Just, just one more to decide. Just go it? one more. Just one more. That's it's, it. It's, it's not like this best isn't, of three out of five, just one more. This isn't like Netflix where you say one more and you watch twenty. It's just one more and you find out who wins. Right. What what was going on here? 
They didn't have any good ideas back in the day <laughs> for sports. They needed modern ideas. They did. Come on, where were the 2000s back in 1915? For real, this is ridiculous. Well, where do we want to go? Which direction do we want to take this? You could go to Ralph Jones, the Australian soldier. Or we could go to Ralph Jones, <laughs> the Welsh Should footballer. Should we just go around to different Ralph Joneses? <laughs> Ralph Jones, disambiguation. Ralph Jones episode. <laughs> From Ralph Jones to Ralph Jones to Ralph Jones. <laughs> I can go to Ralph Jones' soldier. He looks like he doesn't have a real face. That's an interesting side effect of being <laughs> in war. <laughs> like, he di- actually, he doesn't look like he has a real person. Personhood. <laughs> 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 we gotta go to him. I- I'm interested because he's basically Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Ralph <clears throat> Jones, parentheses, GC. Now, Ralph Jones, who lived from September 26, 1900 to August 5, 1944, was an English-born Australian soldier who was posthumously honored the George Cross for the gallantry he showed when Japanese prisoners of war staged an escaped attempt on August 5th of 1944 in Cowrus, New South Wales. Jones was born at Gorleston, Norfolk, England, and educated there until the age of 14. He served in the British Army at the end of World War I in the Army occupation on the Rhine, Germany, until invaded home in invalidated... Invalidated home? (laughs) What? In April 1920. What is this word? Until he was invalidated home. Yes. That's right. That's correct. I don't know. <laughs> invalidated. And then he the definition to... of invalidated. All right, we're going to look up well, the word yeah, invalidated. Yeah, like, I guess it's probably better to actually know what we're saying. All right, so um, can invalid be past tensed? Yep. Okay, it can be past tensed. Um to incapacitate physically or to release or exempt from duty because of ill health. There we go. So that That's is an actual for. word. He was I've invalided home. That wow. That, I've never seen that used as a verb. That's crazy. Yeah. I, wow. I'm, well, you learn, you learn weird things here on Wikipedia. You don't learn People normal things. People slip in obscure words just anywhere really <laughs> this is no place to be slipping in like fancy weird words that nobody uses actually it's exactly the place that's what wikipedia is built for <laughs> i meant the specific this. article oh well yeah actually <laughs> well i guess obscure word in an obscure article maybe they thought hey nobody's gonna be reading this <laughs> Some, uh, Nobody will be drawn <laughs> in by this freaky drawn face. <laughs> it's like uh, somebody, like some kind of uh, English student somewhere is like, ah, I'm, i got to get my writing skills better and increase my vocabulary. So, this is so we accidentally live up to our reputation of being a quote-unquote educational podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as we initially set out to yep. do. Occasionally we do educate people <laughs> on some things. Once in a great... Great, great while. Hey, if you can think of another category to place us into, be my guest. I, I can't. <laughs> let, it, let us know. 
At this point, you know what the category I can think of is? Sports, military. Yeah, uh, we change categories every episode. That's well, the problem. No, you're not wrong. But I mean, like, the past couple, it's been it's been That's pushing true. us. Like, That's true. Like, you're into sports now. You're into sports. I wonder, I wonder if we could just change our category every single time and have it, like, bounce us around... Just shop us to different communities, see yeah, who's see like who taking sticks, an interest. Yeah, because like educational people probably like coming to us and being like, "Wow, they don't have any. They, they, they're the ones that review people. That's they're true. The, yeah. These people don't have any credentials. They're not like <laughs> studying their articles as they go along. They're idiots. They're dumb. Screw these people. And uh, that's probably not the audience we really want right. to be in with. Yeah, we need. See, because I wouldn't say we're necessarily a comedy podcast because. We, because we, we only dabble. occasionally find yeah. funny things. We dabble in comedy, but we don't always win. Yeah. <laughs> we Sometimes we, we just we find butts. And we're, I think this is like picking the low. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, every once in a while, we'll find a good butt. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll most of the time. We'll grab it. We'll <laughs> yeah. be okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll squeeze the juice out of that butt. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not something we do on the regular. Like. Right, yeah. You can't butt every day. It's no, not, uh, no, it's not healthy. It's not a good thing. Yeah, we gotta rein it in sometimes. But um, yeah, so this guy was invalided. That's just a strange word to say. Even if you it's, know what it means, it's still just like just, what happened. It's like what went on. I don't know. It gets stuck on your tongue. Invalidated. Invalidated. It sounds like there should be more or less to that word. I feel like it's easier to say if you're British. Like probably. I'm, Invalided. 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 Hmm. It's really not easier to say as a British person. <laughs> Never mind. I reject the idea. I apologize. Like, it, it feels like, like I, I don't know, invalid. Like, there's a nice stop, you know? Like, invalid. I think I keep but, trying to say invalidated. Yeah, invalidated. Like, if you keep going longer, then you get to another nice stopping point. Like, you right. have invalid invalidated like there's nice stopping points there but, but invalidated it, it just sounds, sounds like you're, you're like it sounds like you're walking and then you kind of trip a little bit uh, but then like nothing uh, happens <laughs> like you just like I can do it whenever I envision myself tripping but I'd really rather not sound like that whenever I say like it's gonna be a little shocking to assume yeah. uh, invalidated Sorry, like that tone just does not fit with like my normal speaking voice so I yeah. just don't really feel the need to, uh, I'd rather just gloss over the word. Yeah. I do want to find a way to, like, I do want to practice it. I want to find a way to yeah, use Yeah, there has that. to be a way to use that in everyday speak. Because I feel like I want to have my tongue learn the motion, because, like, it feels really hard to, like, hit that did yeah, in a way that doesn't feel distinctly. There's not dope. a nice flow. No. You have to, like, really know. search for, like, a good An actual, way to yeah, yeah. go about it. But, um, this it's, guy emigrated then to Australia after the invalided and this was in 1926 that he emigrated and then uh, in World War II he was mobilized and in February of 1942 was posted to the prison camp at Cowra and then we get Cowra Breakout ooh main article. Yeah. Um, on August 5th, 1944, the Japanese prisoners at the camp, armed with improvised knives and bats, stormed the guard posts 
That's a really terrible plan. <laughs> yeah, it's an awful idea. <laughs> You're literally bringing knives to a gunfight because clearly the guards will have guns. Um, but uh, they, uh, well, okay. So they stormed the guard posts with what a military court of inquiry termed a suicidal disregard of life. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty harsh terms for a court to tell you. <laughs> That's a yeah. That's a uh, man. Um, they're, they're they're not mincing words there. Yeah, the 231 prisoners were killed during the ensuing fighting, and 108 were wounded. All of the escapees were recaptured within days. Jones was killed in the outbreak, as was Private Benjamin Gower Hardy, who was also awarded the George Cross. And Private Charles Henry Shepard was the third victim of the fighting at the camp, while Lieutenant Henry or Harry Doncaster was ambushed and killed while recapturing the escapees. The Court of Inquiry found that the Australian soldiers had ceased fire as soon as they had reestablished control of the camp, and that many of the dead had either killed themselves or been killed by fellow prisoners while many what? of the wounded had self-inflicted injuries. What? <laughs> I don't think that's yeah, that, true. That, uh, that, wait. So they ran up and just stabbed themselves at the guards? I don't think that's true. <laughs> that's... I don't buy that for one minute. <laughs> I don't. I mean, like... De killing yourself with a knife sounds incredibly difficult and but it's also like it is impractical also, it does kind of buy into the myth of the whole seppuku banzai whatever thing with a oh. sword yeah but yeah but with, with, yeah, a, with, a, with a handmade <laughs> shiv yeah i agree that was, seems like it would be stupid to it's even <laughs> like after a while if you tried that i'm sure the soldiers might have killed you out of mercy because they would have been like right ah, <laughs> wow i don't have the um medical resources to deal with this nor the know-how <laughs> and uh wow you're like bleeding hmm uh this is i i don't think this is a good way to handle this <laughs> like I, I i don't i still think it's a weird assumption though that most of them had self-inflicted or suicide wounds yeah because if they did that then why would there have been escapees and stuff like it's mm. If that was all it was, they wouldn't have had to, quote, regain control of the camp. Right, yeah. So they were just, like, suiciding. If they were just like, killing themselves, like, there's nothing just, to get control of. It would have been it would have been the greatest job ever, because then you'd just be, like, <laughs> standing there and be like, well, do you want to tell the command about this? <laughs> nah. I mean, they're kind of taking care of themselves. So let's just, let's just, like, stay here and be safe until the end of the war. Cool. I guess. I mean, like, we have all these dead bodies, and it's horrifying. It's a terrible thing, but at the same time, at least we don't have to kill people. <laughs> at least nobody's going to be shooting us. <laughs> and so, really, <laughs> like, were the conditions at the camp so bad that these people had to, like, do, like, a mass suicide escape attempt? That's the real thing that I have to wonder, though, is that... You know, I mean, one way or the other, they were trying to overthrow them. So, um... I mean, maybe some of them are just sacrificing themselves so that at least some people could escape. I don't that know. may have been it. 
because I don't see there being really like a really good thought out plan there yeah. from the sounds of things. If they recaptured literally everybody, then nah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that there was a link to the other Ralph Jones still. I'm sad that we can't keep riding this Ralph Jones train. There's only so many cars in the Ralph Jones train. <laughs> we have to let them all go after a while. Although we do have a link to the Cowra Breakout. So I don't know if there's more than what this uh, paragraph says here, but maybe maybe there's a whole article about it. Maybe we should go to it and find out in more detail about what actually happened. Because like, I feel like we're, we're, we're sort of curious about it, but we're not like... We're not to dying discern. to find out. Well, we know it's going to be sad. We know it's going to be uh, uh, brutal. So mm -hmm. I think that we're trying to avoid it. Just kind of, you know. Because right now it's a very at a very um, candy coated stage. Right, right. We don't really want to. We can easily break the candy coating. <laughs> yeah. It's a question we can of get past that nice M and M candy coating mm -hmm. shell and get to the dark chocolate underneath. But um, is it dark chocolate or is it just shit? <laughs> That's the real question. That is the question. The worst bag of M and M's. The, 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 the M and M's with the the, the possibility <laughs> that it's not M and M underneath. <laughs> All right. Well, let's well, let's do it. Let's, let's see. Yep. Let's see what's up with the Cower breakout. So. As we said before, 1944 is when this happened, August 5th. Um, well, now, this one is um, 1,100 Japanese prisoners of war attempted to escape from a prisoner of war camp near Cowra in New South Wales, Australia. Oh, the largest prison escape of World War II. I guess that makes sense. Um, and also one of the bloodiest. Which also makes sense. If it's the largest, it's probably also the bloodiest. So, Cowra was originally a farming district west of Sydney by a lot. Uh, why even... See, like, this is... Why even mention Sydney at this point? <laughs> it's because it's Australia. There's like, nothing else to mention. Like, like it's not <laughs> near anything else. It's like, near... It's the next closest thing it's close to is like it's five thousand miles from China. <laughs> it's not close to anything. Like yeah, it's like I don't know, comparing things that far away, it's like you know, if you're in some like whatever town in Kansas right. or something like, hey, it's only like, five hundred miles from New York. Like you know, like, like wow. Well, okay, only, why are you mentioning New York yeah, right now? It's only five hundred miles from Los Angeles too. Great. That's <laughs> still half a country. What are you doing? But anyway. But it was a, a town nearest to number 12 prisoner of war compound, which is, I guess... Uh, uh, I guess that's a name? Yeah. <laughs> number 12. Anyway, in any case, 4,000 different Axis military and personnel were uh, detained there. The prisoners at Kaura also included 2,000 Italians, Koreans who had served in the Japanese military, which is ironic, 
and Indonesian civilians detained at the request of the Dutch East Indies government, which is weird that the Dutch, Dutch East, East Indies. That's right. That's the old company. It's the old East Indies. Yeah. The pre-East Indies. They didn't really like die out, remember, until huh. the... Didn't we... We didn't me- talk didn't about we talk the East about Indies. how they used to be like a government, basically? They used to govern yeah, India. Yeah, yeah. And they had like a mil- their own military or whatever. I don't think this is the Dutch East Indies company, though. I think this is the Dutch oh, East Indies the government, government yeah. like the actual hmm. uh, uh, thing in like Indonesia. Or am I thinking of the East India company? Uh, I think it's the the Netherlands. This this is just the Netherlands under Indonesian, the in, Indonesia under the Netherlands rule. I should say. Gotcha. Not as opposed to the Dutch East India Company, which had control of, like, India itself for some time. Uh, By August 1944, there were 2,000 Japanese prisoners of war in Australia, including 544 merchant seamen. There were 14,720 Italian prisoners who had been captured mostly in the North African campaign and 1,585 Germans, mostly naval or merchant seamen. Although the prisoners of war were treated in accordance with the 1929 Geneva Convention, relations between the Japanese prisoners of war and the guards were poor due largely to significant cultural differences. A riot caused by Japanese prisoners of war at Featherston Prisoner of War Camp in New Zealand in, uh, in 1943 led to security being tightened at Kaura. Eventually, the camp authorities installed several Vickers and Lewis machine guns to augment the rifles carried by the members of the Australia Australian Militia's 22nd Garrison Battalion, which was comprised mostly of disabled veterans or young men or old people considered physically unfit for frontline service. Hmm. So, um, there was a tip-off from an informer at Kaura that led authorities to plan a move of all Japanese POWs at Kaura, except officers and NCOs, to another camp at Hay, New South Wales, 400 kilometers to the west and the Japanese were notified of the move on the 4th of August and in the words of historian Gavin Long the following night at about 2 a.m. a Japanese ran wait okay a Japanese this is the words of historian Gavin Long so a Japanese ran to the camp gates and shouted what seemed to be a warning to the sentries then a Japanese bugle sounded. A sentry fired a warning shot. Who gave Wa- them bugles? <laughs> yeah, seriously, where did bugles come from? Who and- gave them guns? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then more sentries fired as three mobs of prisoners shouting bonsai began breaking through the wire. You know, they did have kamikaze pilots in World War II, now they that did. I think about it. Yep, they were, they were downright... They, there was a lot of fervor going on, a lot of zealotism. They were very willing to sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so one mob was on the northern side, one on the western side, and one on the southern side. And they flung themselves across the wire with the help of blankets. And they were armed with knives, baseball bats, clubs studded with nails and hooks. 
Where are they getting these things? Who gave them this? <laughs> why do they have why, clubs? Why do they have baseball bats? <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, like the the hooks and things I kind of understand because, like, in and of themselves are not bad. But who gave them bats? <laughs> who thought that was okay? Were they playing baseball in this camp or something? And if so, why are they complaining? What? I mean, yeah. Like, they <laughs> they're playing baseball. You get to have it's some fun war, times. It's wartime and you get it's to play a great baseball. American pastime. They're playing in Australia. <laughs> Just not appreciative at all. I don't get mm-hmm. it. Um, but then, uh, also wire stilettos and garroting cords. Garroting cords. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Sounds dangerous, though. Well, uh, yeah. Hovering over the article doesn't look very pretty. Um, I doubt that's a path we want to go down. <laughs> um, but this... Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't even need to. Look yeah, into we're that we're not gonna get into no. garroting. <laughs> There's no reason to. We're already getting deep enough in this as it is. But uh, this Japanese bugler was Hajime Toyoshima, Toyoshima, who had and he had been Australia's first Japanese prisoner of war. Wow, he was the first one. And this is the guy bugling That's why he has to be the bugler. It's, re- it's representative. Yeah, he gets... It's good storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, soon afterwards, prisoners set most of the buildings in the Japanese compound on fire. And within minutes of the start of the breakout attempt, Privates Ben Hardy and Ralph Jones There's manned... boy. Yep. The number two Vickers machine gun. And began firing it into the first wave of escapees. Wow. Like, I guess, uh, Rambo style. It sounds like it. Sounds like they were just mowing them down. And they were soon overwhelmed by a wave of Japanese prisoners who had breached the lines of barbed wire fences. Before dying, Private Hardy managed to remove and throw away the gun's bolt, rendering the gun useless. This prevented the prisoners from turning the machine gun against the guards. And then some 359 POWs escaped while some others attempted or committed suicide or were killed by their countrymen. Some of those who did escape also committed suicide to avoid recapture, and all the survivors were recaptured within 10 days of their breakout. Man, maybe those guys who committed suicide shouldn't have committed suicide. Maybe they actually would have escaped. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, okay, so this makes a lot more sense. They're not just running up there and committing suicide. They were trying to escape, and if they were about to be captured they were then just gonna kill just themselves like, no like, i'm not going all right back. you know it's either escape or death that's what's mm-hmm. gonna happen so that makes a lot more sense yeah um, that that i understand what they're saying you know, yeah it wasn't abundantly clear before yeah the boiling all this down to one paragraph wasn't helping clarity it. it doesn't it doesn't usually do that huh? <laughs> uh, during the escape and the subsequent roundup of prisoners of war, four Australian soldiers and 231 Japanese soldiers were killed, and 108 other prisoners were wounded. Man, that would have had to have been some crazy manhunt to track down hundreds yeah. of sold, like prisoners. Oh, man. I mean, that's absolutely nuts. But at the same time, Australia is mostly flat. So I feel like... <laughs> and they can't get too far because no. of all the death awaiting them in the middle of the whole if they <laughs> If they suicide, they probably have a chance of living longer than they would have if they ventured <laughs> yeah. further out into the wild. 
the leaders of the breakout ordered the escapes escapees not to attack uh, Australian civilians, and none were killed or injured. That's good. The government conducted an official inquiry into the events. Its conclusions were read to the Australian House of Representatives on in September 8, 1944. Among the findings were that A, conditions at the camp were in accordance with the Geneva Conventions. Okay, B, so they're not crazy. They're not you know, like the Nazis. Right. Trying to <laughs> right. B, no complaints regarding treatment had been made by or on behalf of the Japanese before the incident, which appeared to have been the result of a premeditated and concerted plan. C, the actions of the Australian garrison in resisting the attack averted a greater loss of life and firing ceased as soon as they regained control. And finally, D, many of the dead had committed suicide or been killed by other prisoners, and many of the Japanese wounded had suffered self-inflicting wounds. Privates Hardy and Jones were presumptuously honored by the George Cross. Australia continued to operate that camp until the last Japanese and Italian prisoners were repatriated in 1947. Kalmar maintains a significant Japanese war cemetery. In addition, a commemorative Japanese garden was later built on Bellevue Hill to, to memorialize these events. Uh, the garden design was done by Ken Nakajima in the style of the Edo period. Hmm. So, as far as war prisoner of war camps go, it sounds like... Australia really did handle it pretty good. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Considering they had like 15,000 other people there. Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, this is a very small so section of people that were trying like to... The, the 300, literally just like people in, that rebelled, like that's not that much. Yeah. That's not even, that's not even that many like, Japanese people. None there. of the Italians were in on this escape. Or the Germans. And even... only It was only... Half of the Japanese population yeah, of the camp. It so, was not much. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not bad. Um, so this has appeared in film and literature. Uh, there was a novel called Dead Men, Dead Men Rising in 1975. And it's about... or Oh, it was by... Somebody named Seaforth Mackenzie. What a name. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Worms Mackenzie. <laughs> he was stationed at Kaura during the breakout. So I guess it's a non wait, no, it isn't. It says it's a novel. So it's I a guess, fiction? I guess this is just like a I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. So the author was stationed there during the breakout and he wrote a novel like a fictionalized novel about the breakout which is a weird choice considering his experience but okay right yeah okay well it's up to him <laughs> then uh die like the carp the story of the greatest prison escape ever which is a book by harry gordon in 1978 that's odd i don't think that qualifies as a great prison escape nor is it the greatest one ever because uh, there wasn't... There was no escape. There was no escape, because literally... Everybody came back Everybody came back or died, yeah. 
That's the worst escape. That's absolutely That's a the opposite of escape. Failed. That's a one hundred percent failed escape. That 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 there's as no failed as you can possibly there. get on an escape. Yep. Um, but then we got the Cowra Breakout in nineteen eighty four, which was a four and a half hour television miniseries. That'd be cool. By Margaret Kelly and Chris Noonan, and directed by. Noonan and Philip Noyce. Noyce. Um, yeah, I'd like to seek that out. That actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, and then there's a two-hour TV movie um, I assume made in, like, Japan? Because the original title is all a... In, I mean, some kind of Asian characters. I don't know, like, the specific differences between languages. But I would assume it's Japanese, considering that it was about Japanese people. But it's called, On That Day, Our Lives Are Lighter Than the Toilet Paper, <laughs> The Great Kaura Breakout. That is the English translation. Um, still disagreeing with the greatness of this breakout. But, um, you know, as we will. <laughs> uh, then we get, in 2013, Shame and the Captives, a fictionalized account by Thomas Chameleon. Thomas Chameleon. I assume that's a book. It has an ISBN number, but it doesn't say it's a book. But, uh, yeah. Then there's another book, the last book, Barbed Wire and Cherry Blossoms. Uh, That's a cool band name. That'd be a great that band is name. a great band name. Yeah. Um, but that, or at least a good album name. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, either way. But uh, this is a historical fiction book by Dr. Anita Heiss, based on an escapee who hid in the nearby Aboriginal mission until the end of the war. That's a great name, Anita Heiss. Sounds like I need a Anita heist. heist. <laughs> we that all sounds, need a heist. Yeah. <laughs> Anita Heist. Mm-hmm. That's a good author name. Yeah. Superb. Okay. See also Japanese prisoners of World War II. Hold on. What's this? The Takanaga incident. Takanaga. Uh, I don't think it's as interesting as it sounds. I mean, we already got the PS de Resistance by getting the largest prison breakout type thing during World War II. Right, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of prisons. Yeah. We had a lot of people in a lot of different prisons, and if this is the largest one, then, like, let's not... Let's stop all we're ahead. Let's let's yeah. let's find something and else to go to. I mean, this... Um, Kaura prison wasn't even, like, a... You know, the crappy, really bad taste american like citizen prison <laughs> that yeah. we had yeah this was actually this a was prisoner like of war, war camp. criminal like you know like yeah. people who were involved in the war like military people and even when the japanese prisoners of war decided to rise up it seemed like it was entirely civilized yeah. all the rage was directed at soldiers yeah, and they, it was directed at the civilian people who were in the camp they they only shot until they could regain control of everything and then they were like all right we're done 
Like, I think both sides really, like, exercised a lot of restraint. Yeah. Given the situation. It's amazing how civilized things are, like... (laughs) Even... Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Even in, like, chaos and war times like this... Where you have prisoners and some people who have machine guns. Like, it still, like, manages to be, like, like, retrospectively kind of, like... That could have been a lot worse. That could have been worse. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like if America was involved, uh, something would have been messed up. Way messed up. Australia, Australia is like America done a little bit, a little yeah. bit, <laughs> sometimes a little bit better. America 2.0. America where they did manage <laughs> to ban guns. Yeah. America. Okay, Canada is like America 1.5. Australia is, is America 2.0. 2.0. But it still has the bugs. <laughs> No, no, no. That's the point. <laughs> like, the point like there. Bugs isn't literal bugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. The point there is that the wildlife will kill you if you try to go <laughs> yeah. kill it. It will kill you back. Yeah. Like, it's like, hey, we can fix all this stuff. Yeah. Still got crazy, you terrible, need, you horrible, need, dangerous things. Exactly. You don't need Texas to be a thing. You don't need to have electric chairs. You don't There's need people to kill other people. Around. Exactly. If you have a wildlife that kills other people for you, that's probably the best yeah. possible message for human go. beings to encounter <laughs> in an era where yep. we have become entirely too cocky and our supremacy over the planet if we don't die by ourselves we'll die by nature which is you know it's refreshing that there's a place in the air in the world where that can still happen given modern stuff yeah yeah we've uh, had quite the ralph jones episode here we really have it's been a good good couple of articles but uh i think uh, we've actually used our time pretty effectively covered everything Mm -hmm. relatively thoroughly but it's been a good you know, it, it's, it's it's enriching to encounter an article like this where it's like, oh, God, what am I about to walk into? Yeah. <laughs> and like, you had some of those that didn't turn out so great. <laughs> they just ended up becoming like moral discussions and, and like yeah. why it's awful, why, why life is awful sometimes. This one ended up being kind of like a, well, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. Uh, all things considered right yeah as good as it could have been yeah like <laughs> i don't think i don't think that anybody here was outside acting outside of their bounds i think mm-hmm. prisoners have a right to be pissed off and rebel soldiers right. have the right to try to follow orders as best they can and both of them did a good job of not extending the conflict any longer than it mm-hmm. had to go like yeah. all right Best possible outcome. Cool. Yep. So there you have it from Ralph Jones, not that one, to Cowra Breakout. Um, so visit us on Facebook and visit us on Twitter. Um, visit us on iTunes, but don't rate us on iTunes because right. we've concluded that we don't trust yeah. you with that star button. Right. So. We, yeah, we, we really don't... Uh, think that you have the capabilities of rating right now we just we just don't deal with we, stars at the wikipedia cron <laughs> yeah we don't believe in stars right here we are we, all made of stars <laughs> we don't believe we are all stars but hey now you're an all-star get your game on go play go. play <laughs> uh so yeah we also have our website twc.ericdrivy.com there's stuff over there you can do and stuff but I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Helen Morgan for our outro song Helen Mirren? no Helen Morgan (laughs) Helen Morgan
Helen Morgan. Okay. I don't know. You just got to draw it out a little bit more. It's not like the nice tight <laughs> Helen Mirren. Yeah, it's, it's Helen Morgan. Yeah, you can still do it's it. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a slower. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Helen Mirren. It's like Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. But then you got Helen Morgan. If you, yeah, if you actually like eloquently pronounce, then yeah, yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, she's doing her outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles.